0: Well, amen. It is great to have you with us, and it was so much fun hanging out with all of us last night. Anyone enjoy the comedy night last night? Had a lot of fun? My goodness. Yeah. yeah. You can clap for Kenny. He's back there in the whole band and the sound team and everybody. It was just an awesome time of laughing together and enjoying each other's company together. So just really awesome. So thanks for joining us. Many of you invited uh, first-time friends, got a chance to meet them, say hi to them. They got to enjoy the comedy. Probably enjoyed the bar, and they got to enjoy the uh, the music last night as well. So thanks again. Yeah, we've been journeying through the book of Numbers, and really doing what we just sang about, which is looking at how faithful God is on our journey. In fact, if you have not been with us for nine months, man, you missed some great preaching. I got to you just you really missed it. But but I'm going to summarize. Nine months of research, nine months of, of sermons, nine months of messages, and just a few short sentences. In fact, more than that, I'm going to summarize everything we've said for the last nine months with one slide. This is it. In case you've missed the last nine months, that's it. That's, that's what we've done. So so feel, feel caught up. Because Moses is going to take chapter 33 and basically explain that. God took us out of Egypt. He took us across on a certain route, crossed the Red Sea, wandered for several years, and ultimately got to the edge of the Promised Land. So I think that's helpful because as I read this, you're going to get lost in all the different names and all the different places. So as I'm reading, follow the yellow road, the yellow brick road here as to where they are, as he explains Now, these are the journeys of the children of Israel. They went out of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now, Moses wrote down the starting points for their journey at the command of the Lord. According to their starting point, they departed from Ramesses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month on the day after the Passover. The children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of the Egyptians, for the Egyptians were still bearing their dead the firstborn whom the Lord had killed from among them. Also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgments. Now they moved from Ramesses and camped at Sukkoth. They departed from Sukkoth and they camped at Etham, which is just on the edge of the wilderness. They moved from Etham and turned back to Pi-Hetheroth, which is east of Baal-Zephon, and they camped near Milgadol. And these are all pronounced accurately, by the way. They departed from Hiroth and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. Now, there are actually like five different views on where the crossings are. Some people have the crossing here, some here. Some have the Reed Sea, which I don't take to. Some here. I take this minority view because if you Google Earth this and zoom in, you can see an incredible beachhead there surrounded by mountains one way in. Two million people would fit there. So this topography works exactly for what Moses uh, describes. So that's why I have it here. So some people have Mount Sinai over here. I actually have that over here. So here we go. So they moved from Mara and came to Elam, and at Elam were 12 springs of water, and there were 70 palm trees there, so they camped there. They moved from Elam, and they camped by the Red Sea, and they moved from the Red Sea and camped in the Wilderness of Sin. So now we're in that little red dot you can see in the bottom left-hand corner. They journeyed from the Wilderness of Sin, and they camped at Dafka. Now they departed from Rephidim, and they camped in the Wilderness of Sinai. Now we're in this blue uh, wilderness, assuming my route's correct. And they moved from the wilderness of Sinai and they camped at Kibroth Hathava. They moved from Kadesh and they camped at Mount Hor at the boundary of the land of Edom. Now, Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord. You guys remember he died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. So they've been wandering now for 40 years. Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. Now the king of Ara, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel. So they departed from Mount Hor, and they camped. And they departed from the mountains of Abrium, and they camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from the Jericho. So you can see now, we are right here at the edge of the promised land. We've come through uh, Edom, we've come through Moab, and we're about to enter the promised land. They camped by the Jordan from Beth-Jeshoresh as far as Abel, Acacia Grove, in the plains of Moab. Twitch are like Chad, I can't wait to see what you get out of this. <laughs> but you see what he's doing? He's tracking back and saying, Have you realized how faithful God has been on the road trip he's had us on? We have complained, we have lied, we have rebelled. Yet the entire time God was faithful. God kept his promises when we didn't keep ours. God tried to prepare us, we rebelled. God gave us tests; we failed. God gave us temptations; we gave in. But He still fulfilled His promise. I bet you God's had you on a road trip. Do you think about the last couple of years, last couple of decades, ways in which He has shown Himself strong when you were weak, helped you overcome temptations, helped you find f- forgiveness when you gave in to temptations? And Moses is going to go on and say, in light of the road trip God has had us on, it's now time on the edge of the Jordan River to to, to switch your faith, to gear up your faith into four-wheel drive. We've had some two-wheel drive faith, and it hasn't really cut it. (laughs) If we're going to fully inhabit everything God has for us, we need to engage in four-wheel drive faith. Let me show you how he says it. Maybe you want to think about how faithful God's been to the road trip he's had you on. And what does it look like to put your faith into four-wheel drive? See, the Lord says to Moses in the plains of Moab, in verse 50, after all that history, across from Jericho, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you've crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then, then, then what? Shift into four-wheel drive. You shall drive out, the first D, all the inhabitants of the land. You'll destroy all the engraved stones, all the molded images, and then demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land that dwell in it right now, for I have given you this land to possess. Four-wheel drive. Drive them out, destroy some things, demolish some things, and dispossess some things. Now, there are certain aspects of your life that two-wheel drive faith has gotten you where you are. It's been successful, and it's been helpful. But there's certain times that two-wheel drives not enough. You're caught in the snow, it's not enough. You're caught in the sand, it's not enough. Buddy and I was on vacation with this recently, and he was uh, driving the van, and the van was two-wheel drive. and He's driving on the beach, and he, uh, he committed the three crimes of driving on the beach. One, he's driving on sand Then he decides to stop, loses all his inertia. Then he tries to turn while trying to gun it, loses any ability to to get traction. So now he's in the sand, he's got no momentum, and now the wheels are beginning to throw up a sandstorm behind us. And pretty soon those wheels dig into the sand, and now the whole thing's beginning to be a weeble wobble, right? Because there's holes underneath those two. And the weeble wobble eventually... The Santo company says that if you, if you do that long enough, you can't even push it out because pretty soon all the wheels dig in and now the entire thing is sitting on the sand itself and the frame is sitting on the sand. And now you can't even push it off because you're trying to push the full weight of the van against it resting on the sand. What you really need there is not two-wheel drive, not gunning it harder. You've got to have four-wheel drive to get out of certain situations to get into certain situations. What he's outlining here for us is how you and I can have four-wheel drive faith. How do we implement the aspects that give us traction for the future God has for us? Now, the first D of this four-wheel drive, what does it mean to shift from two-wheel drive to four-wheel drive, is he says you've got to drive some things out of your life and drive some things out of the land because whatever you don't drive out will drive you away. There are certain secrets, there are certain habits, there are certain temptations, certain mental patterns that you and I have, we've developed for 40 years, maybe more, maybe less, but we've so ingrained them in our life that those things that we did not drive out, we didn't pray out, we didn't take seriously, they begin to grow in our life. And the things we don't drive out end up driving us away from God. He says, you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land before you. But it's free choice. You may choose not to. And if you choose not to, if you do not drive them out, the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it will be that they'll drive you away from me. And he explains it with several metaphors. He says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain. And the Hebrew for let remain here, it's really interesting. It's both the, the things that are left over is one way to say it. But it's also like the things that have spilled over. So maybe you're eating your cereal in the morning and a, a piece of cereal spills over, and you're like, oh, I'll get to that later. It's leftovers, spillovers. And then you forget about it. So I was like, well, it's not a big deal. It's just a crumb. Don't worry about the crumbs. Don't worry about the leftovers. I, I drove out most of it. That's what a lot of us do. Hey, I've overcome some fear in my life, but we didn't get to all of it overcome some temptations and some appetites toward anger, toward lust, but we didn't overcome all of it. And the things we didn't drive out begin to grow, those leftovers. And they drive us away from everything God has for us. And look at the way he describes it. Here's what happens when they drive you away. Number one, they become irritants in your eyes. Oh, you ever had an irritant in your eye? And initially it's just annoying. Oh my goodness. You blink a lot. You go put your eye under the water, and pretty soon it's all consuming. You can't see well. You can't think about anything else because of that irritant. That's what he describes what happens to the things we don't drive out. No, the irritants, they become thorns in your side. Oh, my goodness, this went from an irritant to a thorn. Have you never seen a thorn in Israel? Let me show you what a thorn in Israel looks like. Ah, it's not quite a crumb, is it? He says, these things you don't drive out will become irritants, thorns, and then they will harass you while you live in the land. There are certain things we need to toss out and throw away by finding our full identity in Christ. There's a parable told of a king who walks into his kingdom and he sees a homeless man. And the man has just got these clothes he hasn't washed in a year. They just smell, they reek. And he says to the man, he says, I, I want you to come with me to my home. And I'm going to adopt you and make you royalty. He comes and gives him his room in the castle. He tells him to take a shower. <laughs> the, the, the bum is taking a shower he hasn't washed in, in months, maybe more. And he steps out of the shower feeling clean. He's got a new identity, a new royalty. He's been adopted by the king. And he says, "Would not you come to dinner tonight? He says, oh, I'd love to. So he reaches over and he puts back on his old pants, the ones he's worn all this time. Puts on his old shirt. He comes to dinner. The king says, well, You're clean. You're royalty now. Why would you put on those old clothes? He says, Well, it's the only ones I know. Brings him up to the closet and says, Look, here's all the new clothes you can wear now that you're a prince. And for me, the king has picked us out. He's adopted us. He's washed us clean. But we still put on those old clothes because we've been used to it, those old patterns. And God wants to know, you need to drive out. It's time to throw away some of those old stinky pants. Time to throw away all those old stinky shoes. Time to get rid of those, those old comfortable, convenient things you're used to, but the patterns, they're going to drive you away because they're not consistent with your new identity because of what Christ has done for you. What do you need to drive out? What are the things you didn't drive out that have begun to become harassments and irritants in your life? Because you never took it seriously enough to pray and fast over breaking the bondage of some stronghold in your life. We all have them. Four-wheel drive faith begins with driving out. Then he kind of mentions two things at once. This is the idea of both demolishing and destroying. Demolishing and destroying. Whatever thorns you don't remove gets stuck to you for future Generations. You ever walk through the weeds and you get done you got these big old burrs <laughs> sitting all over the place? Maybe it's, it's right on your, on your shoelaces. you got these giant burrs you're trying to pull off. He says, if you don't demolish some things and destroy some things, they're actually going to stick to you and stick to future generations because you didn't deal with it. Then you will drive out the inhabitants of the land before you. And to do that, you need to do two more things. You need to destroy, destroy, and demolish. Destroy, destroy, demolish. What do you destroy? Destroy their engraved stones. There are certain idols that led them to be tyrants and terrorists for the last 900 years. There are certain gods they had, certain priorities they had, certain patterns they had. And if you leave those engraved stones there and don't destroy them, they will become patterns for future generations. And then you're to destroy all the molded images. These are all the gods that require child sacrifice, all the gods that that told them to live a certain way that led to the mess this land is in. They've defiled the land, he says in other places. And we think, these people and their big statues, thank goodness I'm not like them. But we've all got idols, ours just don't look like statues. And usually an idol is a good thing that we turn into an ultimate thing. And we say, you know, in general, I don't lie unless I need to protect my reputation. That becomes an idol. In general, I, I don't fudge things when I'm talking, but, but if it allows me to not feel worried, feeling in control is pretty important to me. And so I'm willing to maybe do things I wouldn't typically do if it helps me feel in control. I wouldn't typically speak this way, but I did speak this way because it protected my status. It, it made me look good my reputation. It, it made my performance feel better or look better. It enhance my ability to perform. Whether it's status or performance or money or appearance or making yourself look good as a mom or dad, we all have molded images, idols, good things usually that we put above God. And we need to not only take them seriously, we need to destroy those things and knock them down to size so they're appropriate size compared to God, that we serve God, we don't have any other gods or any other priorities that rule our life. That's the idea he's getting at here. Then he says you need to demolish the high places. The high places used all through the Scripture, (laughs) and they don't demolish it, like he tells them. In fact, the high places become a theme through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. They did this and this and this, but they didn't destroy the high places. The high place was usually a mountain. The top of the mountain was a stick called the Ashtoreth. And the Ashtoreth was Baal's mom, Baal's mom was Ashtareth. She was the goddess of sensuality. And it's the one thing they didn't demolish is using their appetite for lust appropriately. Usually in their culture, it was is, is a culture of lust for sexuality. We can't relate to that as Americans, but it's what they struggled with back then, right? But it wasn't just sensuality. Your lust for power, your lust for comfort, your lust. For appetite your lust for pleasure it's all the lusts the high places and he's saying i need you to look at how seriously these lusts these secrets these patterns are they need to be demolished in your life demolish the high places lest they become thorns for future generations I think for me, if you say, Chad, I've tried, uh, and whatever your lust is, it's the lust for comfort, it's the lust to be in control. We all have these kind of lusts, right? And, and these high places, your high place is probably different from my high, play, high place. The thing that's hard for you to knock down is, is maybe easy for me to knock down, but the easy, That's easy for me to knock down, it's hard for you to knock down. What is your high place, and what is the thing you lust after that really needs to be demolished to get into four-wheel drive? You know, when we uh, moved into our first house, it was in Smarter, Georgia. We had this gorgeous tree in the backyard. In fact, this tree was an American chestnut. Most of them had been knocked down through a blight. They had been diseased and died. But this thing was so big around, my wife and I could, could join hands and just barely make it around the entire circumference. Monstrous trunk. It went up about six to eight feet, and then it broke into four more branches. When I say branches, I mean a branch the size of a tree. One going this way, that way, this way. Have you ever seen an American chestnut nut? Let me show you what they look like. There it is. I am thoroughly acquainted with this nut. The tree in our backyard produced 100,000 of those a season. And that is no exaggeration. This thing was massive went in all directions. Look at the burrs and the splinters on that thing. As soon as it even slightly dried, they turned into needles brand new backyard we got a brand new baby sierra she's 1 or 2 years old tens of thousands of these spread all over my yard and all you had to do is fall once on one of them and it would instantly put 50 splinters into your hand sierra's hand would be infected we'd be pulling them out you couldn't ever play in the backyard you couldn't ever use the land that we had because of all these so I decided I got to destroy these things so I pull out the rake I'm literally going around the backyard Bonfire. <laughs> I look behind me. Donk, 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 And no matter how hard I raked, there's just tens of thousands. So then I got a lawn sweeper. Now not if you've seen this thing before. It's for sweeping up the grass in your lawn. I put this thing all the way down to low mode. thing was like four foot across, big... Um, uh, 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 area to catch everything that comes up. And, and as you pushed, it was like this big sweeper wheel, like on your vacuum cleaner. Really take everything in the lawn, throw it up into this, this, this section that would hold it. And so literally, I am sprinting across my yard. I'm sweeping my yard. I was sweeping my backyard for crying out loud. Sweeping! Back, forward, back, forward, back, forth. Got it all done. Yes! Dunk, 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 dunk. I worked hard at it. I tried hard at it. I swept hard, but I was going after the symptoms, bad symptoms, serious symptoms, for the sake of the next generation. symptoms. But I had to take care of the tree. So a neighbor shows up, just met him, first time I ever met the guy, and we got chatting about his life and how he came to the neighborhood. He so says, what do you do for a living? I'm a youth pastor at the time. What do you do for a living? He goes, oh, I, uh, I trim trees. <laughs> what kind of trees? He goes, those 200, 300 foot pines, I skimmy all the way up to the top and I cut them down from the top down. See my tree? See American chestnuts? See my hand? Could you take care of this? He goes, sure. Walks back to his house, comes back with these unbelievable clawed boots and a strap, (laughs) throws it around the tree. Had to get like double because that thing's so big. It's got a chainsaw about this big little bit chainsaw on the way up all the small stuff He gets to the top now I got these gigantic I got a trampoline back there I got a shed back there should I move anything no no I'll be fine we're watching precision dropped gigantic tree limb boom right between the swing set and the trampoline goes up a little further boom we're sitting there the whole ground shook knock that thing down Hey, goddamn i wow, so thank you. And all of a sudden, for the next couple of years of that house, we could finally use and enjoy our backyard because we were no longer dealing with the symptoms, but we got to the root of the problem. You know, like, it's just a chestnut. Well, one that caused infections every day of our life. And sometimes we have to figure out what the root of the problem is. What are the patterns that you've allowed to go in your mind that you don't even know you do? What does it mean to take those thoughts captive? What does it mean to renew your mind? What does it mean that every time before I find myself in that pattern of high places, I just feel unappreciated or I feel worn out and so I need a dopamine high and my brain knows I need a dopamine high so I, I shop too much or I, I go to too many movies or watch too much media, whatever your lust is or I, I, whenever I get worried and so I use this dopamine high of whatever my high place is to feel better for a moment before I crush into shame. Have you taken the time to shift your faith into four-wheel drive to say, i got to figure out the patterns, find out the mindsets, find out the strongholds that are leading me to this. So that for the sake of the next generation, these thorns, these burrs, these moments, don't stay with me. I tell a guy who did that, I was talking on the phone a few weeks ago to a guy named Chad Williams. As soon as I got him on the phone, I knew he must be tough. Chad Williams. He actually is a Navy SEAL, retired. He described becoming a Navy SEAL. He said, in that hell week, you run 200 miles each person. You only get four hours of sleep for the entire seven days. And then at the end, right before you pass, they take the guys and they put them in the Pacific Ocean in February. He goes, just the air is so cold you're shivering. They call it the jackhammer shiver. Your body is shivering so bad. Then they puts you in the water and it just takes your breath away. And he says, you're going to sit here in this water with each other until three of you quit. And you sit there until three people don't have enough endurance that they ring the bell and they give up. Give up. And he made it. In fact, that, the Pacific Ocean in February was so severe that after his class, they don't do it that month anymore. It was just too severe. The next day he becomes a navy seal he's not a christian this has been everything he's worked for his entire life everything he's dreamed of he he, he's celebrated before family and friends and all his commanders he's made it he's at the top he's got everything he ever wanted or ever needed he said the joy of that moment lasted maybe 24 hours and that was like well now what i'm a seal that's great but now what He realized he'd made being a seal, accomplishing that goal, his idol. He didn't have those words back then. All that was going on behind the scenes, though, that he's accomplished everything, looks so good on the outside, but inside he just felt empty. Am I not more than just this one accomplishment? His family invite him to church. He's not really a churchgoer since he was real young, but to get him off his back, he could go to church early and I'll go out partying later that night. They go to church that night, and the guy's speaking on 2 Kings chapter 5. The story of Naaman, a soldier who had respect, he had power, he had overcome incredible things, but under his armor, he had a problem that no one could solve, leprosy. That was eating away at him from the inside out. He said, I showed up, I'm like, well, at least they're going to talk about a soldier at church, I guess I'll listen. He said, God just gripped him that he was an amen. That he had all his armor, he had all his accolades, he had everything on the outside, but on the inside he was empty. And that night he became a follower of Jesus. He went from literally totally disinterested to saying, that's me and the Holy Spirit got hold of him. But he's a seal. He goes back and tells his group that he's become a Christian. Like that's great for you. Until he decided not to go to the strip clubs with them every Friday night. And they were genuinely concerned that how can a man who won't look at a naked woman be willing to kill a man if it comes to that? But there were certain habits, certain high places he decided to start changing his patterns on. They were no longer the clothes worthy of the new king he was, the worthy of the new princess, prince he'd become. So this one buddy is like, Listen, I don't know if you're going to have my back if you don't participate in this stuff. I just question whether or not you got what it takes anymore. <laughs> it was like, I think it was the next day they actually were in an ambush. This guy was down, and he was just about to get ambushed by another guy who was going to shoot him. And suddenly the Humvee came around, 50 cal moved over. <coughs> instantly killed the guy who was about to ambush him. He looks up, who did that? Thank you, man, who did that? Chad Williams. He didn't realize the difference between, as we've talked about in the series, just war, just killing, living for honor and glory. That is not in the same category as unfaithfulness or impurity. But he had to look at the idols in his life, which were his reputation and his titles and his performance, to find God, something that was worthy of his life. Then there were certain habits and high places he needed to demolish and tear down. What are the things you need to drive out, demolish, or destroy? And the last thing he mentions, what are the things you need to dispossess? Let me mention though, sometimes you guys ask kind of where are we at in our series, and I wanna mention I'm gonna be interviewing Chad Williams in January, he's gonna come here, and i to be interviewing him at our, our new series called Tools of the Titans at our exploring service. But we're also going to start a brand new series in 2 Kings in 2023. And he's actually going to talk about his journey as a Navy SEAL and how 2 Kings basically converted him and God used it in his life as we begin 2 Kings in 2023. We've got about four more weeks left in Numbers, and then we're going to be studying the book of Philippians in an amazing way. If you, I've studied Philippians many times. You're never going to see it quite like we're going to do. It starts in about three weeks or four weeks. So here's where we're headed. And by the way, if you are going to invite friends to our services, we got some great stuff going on right now at the Exploring Service. we got a Greenhouse series right now. Ken speaking today, Ken Kington, then uh, Drew next week, and then me the third. Then we're starting a brand new series called Kids Ask the Darndest or Strangest Things. That series is going to be a series of apologetic questions our kids have asked that we're going to answer. Is there a God? Is there proof? How do we know the Bible's true? If God is good, why do you send COVID? Really tough questions. Great chance to invite friends. Then a series called What If Jesus Was Never Born. Then in 2023, we're going to interview Chad Williams in one of the weeks about what it means to have the success strategies you need in life that he learned as a Navy SEAL. All right, the third D is what does it mean to possess what God has for you by dispossessing what's currently got you. How do you remove the fuel to the alternate priorities in your life? You shall dispossess, what a weird word, Dispossess the inhabitants of land that dwell in it, for I've given you the land to possess. You can't possess everything God has for you until you kick out those things that are currently possessing it. You need to dispossess fear so God's control can come in. You need to dispossess lust so self control can come in. What are the things you need to dispossess in your life, the thoughts, the strongholds, so God can come in and inhabit it, take over it? What are the sins you need to confess or agree with? so there's room for the Holy Spirit to come in and bring love, joy, peace, and gentleness. What needs to be dispossessed in order for you to possess? To come in and take hold of everything God has for you in your life. You shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among the families. Larger lot, the larger uh, tribes get larger inheritance. Smaller tribes get smaller inheritance. Everyone's inheritance shall be uh, whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. And this is why we've done the census and the second census. It was all about your inheritance is based on the census. God is going to reward everyone with the land. Now, as he does, says that, we've seen this map before. This map is how the different tribes inherited the land. But they could not possess the land. They could not enjoy their backyard until they first pushed out, drove out, demolished and destroyed the idols and the inhabitants there who had defiled the land for 900 years. Are there things that have been possessing years of your life? Fear? Man, think of all the years you've given to fear. All the years you've given possession to worry. All the years you've given to letting your anger or your ego control your life. Is it time to finally dispossess those of all the things they've stolen from you up to this point so the Holy Spirit can possess that area of your life? What is the lighthouse you're following to make your decisions? Several years ago, I was learning how to sail down in uh, Florida. And when we did, we came to this uh, museum. It's called the Shipwreck Museum. It's like a pirate museum, arg. And they told the story of the wreckers in West Key. And there's a law down there that any pirate, any ship, not pirate ship, any ship that wrecked on the shores, the wreckers, which were salvage guys, could come out and take, like 80% of the loot became yours. So that, that loot that was on the ship moments ago, when it wrecks against the shores, instantly a wrecker could come out, and what was theirs becomes ours. So what they did is, there's a lighthouse there in Key West. They turned the light out on the lighthouse, And they started a bonfire about 500 feet away next to the rocky shores. So all these ships with all these possessions and all this wealth that were coming along the keys would see the fire, think it was a lighthouse. They'd make their way in and they'd wreck. And when they wrecked all those possessions, all that bounty is just floating around and the wreckers would call out from the top of the stand, Wreckers! Wreck ho! They would all go out into the water and begin to possess what used to belong to somebody else by wrecking them on the rocks. And God is saying, This land has been wrecked for years. We've got to get rid of the wreckers, reset our lighthouse, and repossess that which belonged to me and to you. What do you need to repossess? What do you need to take hold of that you've lost? That's the story of this passage. Remember, we began by looking at that journey. In light of the the road trip God's had you on, where do you need to engage your faith into four-wheel drive? What has the Holy Spirit been tapping on you to say, you've got to drive some things out? What are the idols that you need to demolish? What are the high places you need to destroy? What are the areas where fear or ego or anger has allowed you to dispossess things that God has for you. And what does it look like for you to surrender that? I want to pray for you, and then I want to give you two ways that we can help you on that journey, because it's not easy. Maybe you've said, Chad, I've been trying. I've been raking on this. I haven't done a lot. Of work. I've, I've been pushing and then sweeping my lawn. I'm just not making a lot of progress here. Sometimes we need each other. So I want to pray for you, and i to give you two things you can do that might help. Father, we come before you and say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for how you have been so faithful to faithless people. Will your Holy Spirit just speak now to what that area is in each of us that we need to agree with you on? Those crumbs and leftovers that you want us to take seriously, to drive out. And Holy Spirit, I ask that your spirit would have room to move in each heart and each person here, that you would drive out the spirit of fear, the spirit of, ah, it's not that big a deal, the spirit of justification, rationalization. Create space even now for your Holy Spirit to say, it's time to inherit the promised land. Maybe in your heart you want to say that to God right now. Just say, God, forgive me for the idols of my life Thank you for dying for me. I invite you to take control, to take possession. Then mention that part of your life of my tongue. Take possession of my checkbook, take possession of my calendar take possession of my tongue. In Jesus' name, amen.